0: another way to play episode 69
1: it doesn't matter what your idea is it doesn't even matter if you think it solves a need that hasn't been addressed what matters is whether or not you can get it into the market at all this is michael houlihan and i'm bonnie harvey and we're the co-founders of barefoot wine and the co-authors of the barefoot spirit If you want to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, you should be listening to Another Way to Play with our good friend, Hans Struzina.
2: Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine-to-five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions. Stop hitting the snooze button on your life and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is another way to play with your host, Hans Struzina. This
0: is another way to play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is someone who I'm really excited to bring on. It's actually two someones. It's Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey. They are the founders of Barefoot Wine. Yeah, that's the brand that you've seen probably in almost every grocery store that you've probably ever been to in the wine section. Um, It's got the nice looking foot on it and, uh, and very attractive coloring anyways. They were the founders and they eventually sold it and have written some books and are doing some really amazing things in the audiobook space now. And we get into a lot of conversation together. They basically took that company from when they were consulting, a, just basically an opportunity to get some free wine Services and built it into the number one wine brand in the country. So, this is one you're absolutely going to want to miss because there's some amazing, amazing stories in there. They talked about how they started with no money with their first desk in a space that frankly was supposed to have a washer and dryer in it, but they didn't have enough money for a washer and dryer. So, they fit a makeshift desk in there, all the way to building it to a very large organization and everything in between. They also said something that's really interesting is they never spent money on corporate advertising or any sort of big advertising campaigns. The way that they got the word out was through very grassroots, uh, mission-based advertising and sort of initiatives that they supported with the wine that they had. They also talked about how they went and asked a lot of questions to a lot of people of anybody who would be touching their wine and getting it from a grape all the way to the shelf of a store. They asked a lot of questions and got really creative with the way they went about this. And this is one you're absolutely going to want to listen to. And real quick, before we get into the episode, if you're getting value out of this, please head over to iTunes, leave me a rating and review. It would really, really help me grow, get some feedback and, and keep the podcast growing and going in the right direction. And then if you go down in the show notes, Michael and Bonnie have offered a free chapter of their audiobook down there, so you can check that out. But then also, uh, if you want to connect with me personally, I've got my Calendly link so we can have a chat and get to know one another a little better. That's available in the show notes as well. So without any further ado, guys, here's my conversation with Bonnie Harvey and Michael Houlihan. Michael and Bonnie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Delighted to be here, Hans. Thanks for having us.
0: And we're really excited to get into, gosh, the book, how you're doing it differently. Obviously, the story of, of Barefoot Wine. But before we get there, um, let's go back. Let's build a little bit of context and kind of talk about where your journey really began.
3: Well, our journey of entrepreneurship actually began for both of us before we met. And we, we met in the early 80s. But we'll tell you the story of how Barefoot started, Barefoot Wines. We were both business consultants in Sonoma County. And I had a client who was uh, growing grapes, uh, which is, you know, the major uh, Industry. industry here in Sonoma County. But neither of us were really too interested in wine. Neither of us were drinking wine. We didn't know anything about it. But my client wasn't getting paid for his grapes. So, it was a big number. So, I thought, well, maybe this guy over here, my new boyfriend at the time, can go collect those funds. So, I sent him off (laughs) to collect $300,000 from the winery that owed him for his grapes.
1: Yeah, so I I get to the winery and... uh The guy at the gate says, well, I hope you're not here to collect any money because we just filed bankruptcy this morning. Oh, no. So that starts the day off, and we went through with the meeting, and the only thing I could get out of them was a trade, goods and services, instead of the money that was owed. Mm. So I came back and I said, well, Bonnie, you know, we didn't get paid, but we have $300,000 $300,000 worth of wine and bottling services, you know, we could come up with a label, we could have a marketing program, you know. Yeah, uh, we'll
3: sell it all to the change. We'll how sell, hard
1: could it be? Yeah, and how long could that take? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so ignorance is bliss. So we, you know, we, we grossly underestimated what was involved, but we, you know, had this opportunity, right?
3: Yes, We didn't have a passion for the wine industry, but we had an opportunity that we really couldn't pass up. So that's how we started in the wine industry. And we not only didn't have any knowledge of the industry, but we didn't have any money either. So we had to look around our house and be resourceful with what we had. For instance, we needed an office. And Mm -hmm. uh, the only room that we had some space in was the laundry room. And it had space because we couldn't afford a washer and dryer. So there's that big gap where, Uh you know, the faucets come out and the plugs for the dryer and everything. So we said, well, we'll put a desk there. But we couldn't afford a desk either. (laughs) So we went out to the old barn in the back and we found a door and we washed down the door. We found two sawhorses and we put the door on the two sawhorses. And that was the first desk in the first office for Barefoot Wine, which is now the number one wine brand in the world. So talk about humble beginnings.
0: (laughs) Normally I get to this question later in the interview, but I'm just going to go for it because I think... Something you said strikes me, and it's such a unique answer that you give. A lot of entrepreneurs, as you're aware, talk about passion and how you need to have passion to succeed and follow your passion, the money will come, blah, 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 all that stuff, right? And I'm not making a judgment on it. I'm just, I'm purely curious because I asked this to a lot of people. It sounds like you had zero passion in the wine industry. However, you got into the wine industry because of the opportunity. And so you sort of took the other route to get there, which is, you know, look for the money, follow the money, look for an opportunity, something in that camp of thought as opposed to the passion one. Can you talk to that point a little bit further and dig in on your thought process and paint that picture for us?
3: Well, first of all, we did have a passion for business. Okay, Okay, so it's a lot of different businesses. As business consultants, we had clients in a variety of businesses.
1: And, you know, the other thing, too, is we had a passion for nature and open space. You have to remember, we didn't move to the wine country because we liked wine. We moved to the wine country because we liked the Pacific Ocean. We liked the redwood trees. We liked the rivers and lakes. You know, we,
3: parks, many parks. Yeah, too. many mm-hmm.
1: state parks here. You know, it's absolutely gorgeous, and we're hikers, Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're conservationists. So it was a place that we thought, well, gee, you know, and we each independently made this decision. We said, well, let's move to where we want to live and then find a job there instead of moving to where the job is. And so when we moved to Sonoma County, neither one of us had any real gainful employment, but we were able to... I don't, I don't know if this was an achievement or, but, or we got sucked into <laughs> the vortex of the wine industry, which mm-hmm. was all-encompassing and all around you, 360 degrees, you know. But yep. what
3: did we do with our passion?
1: So what we did is we figured out a way to get the word out about barefoot wine by supporting causes throughout the country that were conservation causes. And Mm. by doing so, the members of those causes knew that Barefoot Wine was supporting them. And because they knew about it, they became advocates for the brand. So they began passing the word among their friends, their employees, employer, brothers, sisters, mothers, cousins. And so that's how we built the Barefoot Wine brand. Because you have to remember, we didn't have any money for advertising. All we really had was wine.
0: So we yeah. basically gave it away to start mm. with. That's honestly the most unique perspective on the passion question I have ever heard. So thank <laughs> you. Um, so taking us back into the washing room without any washing equipment and the door and the sawhorses, you're open for business. You've got $300,000 worth of wine related services from this bankrupt winery Talk to us about that. I mean, that's also probably one of the most unique starts to a business I've ever heard. So I'm flooded with questions, but like, tell us about the story, like paint that picture for us and walk us through those early years.
3: We started asking a lot of questions with everybody that touches the wine product. We asked on the bottling line, we had to come up with a label. I asked the bottling line manager, what should the label look like? And he took us into his back room where he had all these file boxes of labels. And Mm -hmm. he showed us the ones that they bottled frequently. And he showed us the ones that they just bottled a few times or just once. Mm -hmm. And presumably the ones that he bottled frequently were selling better. Good theory. And he showed us that if they were dark, if they were hard, to read. If uh, the names were complicated, they didn't sell very well. The lettering may have been curly cues, And he showed us the others where they had more of a light label or they had a white, basic white edge around them. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have too much stuff. They were really kind of simple. Um, He said that those were the ones that sold the best. Mm. And he also talked to us about the paper, which we probably wouldn't have found out about for a long time. You know, there's different colors, the paper that you start with and textures, and some are mm-hmm. coated and, and some are not. If a label is taken out of the box and it kind of scratches the label on the way out, then mm-hmm. there's a scratch, a torn label, and those are the last bottles to sell. So mm-hmm. if you have the same colored paper on the edge, because it's the edge of the label that would be, cut you know that would be mm-hmm. scarred then it doesn't leave a scar it's the color of the paper you don't see it mm. that was a big lesson there's so kind of, much yeah. to learn
1: that kind of leaves out all the labels that are colored all the way to the edges you see right right but we would have never found that out <laughs> uh if we were in the wine industry we probably wouldn't have known it this is something that you only find out from a mechanic and we, we went to people who were like forklift operators and, you know, uh, they they gave us an idea that we used too because warehouses are dark and, you know, they're sorting people's orders late at night. So the various different kinds of products under one label get mixed up all the time, you know. Yeah. That even, causes missed deliveries. Yeah. So like even at Amazon, you know, you'll order things and they'll come in and it'll be the right brand but it'll be the wrong item and mm-hmm. so he got he said well why don't you just make them all the same color for one item so what we did is we had color-coded wine labels that were the exact same color code as the box that the wines came in mm. okay? so the, so we had these color themes all the way through so if it was cabernet sauvignon it was a burgundy color all the way through if it was sauvignon blanc for instance it would be a green color all the way through And so, you know, and Merlot would be a purple color all the way through. These are the kinds of things you learn when you're humble and you ask lots of questions and you ask people who have, you know, we like to say make friends in low places, right? People who have dirt under their fingernails, they Mm -hmm. know more about the business than all
0: the white collar workers in the world. That's really well said. Thank you for leading with those examples. And you're right. I'm struck by that concept that all the time in in many, many, many different industries around, you have this theory or this idea or this design relative to... um, you know, a label or the way you're going to tile a bathroom or any of that kind of stuff. And then when you actually start talking to the people who are doing the physical work of putting the label on or actually putting the tile on the floor and the walls, it changes your whole perspective on what's the most efficient route. Because we may really like to have our own house a certain way or our own sort of design a certain way. But when you're doing it for a big economy of scale, it changes your opinion very drastically.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. So we were blessed by not knowing what we were doing. Yeah, ignorance was really our blessing. It really was because we asked so many questions and then kind of put it together ourselves instead of coming in with preconceived ideas, which can be the death of an entrepreneur.
0: So I imagine in the wine business, there's kind of two roads you can take. There's a very sort of specific high-end, like low... Um, number of barrels or uh, i don 't know if you call it barrels, I was in the beer industry, and so we call it barrels of production, maybe it 's the same mm-hmm. in the wine industry, or you can do sort of a high volume lower ticket sale, and I'm assuming that you guys had to decide one of one of two directions fairly early on. How did you make those sorts of strategic marketing decisions?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, and this is, this is what we tell our clients it doesn't matter. What your idea is, it doesn't even matter if you think it solves a need that hasn't been addressed. What matters is whether or not you can get it into the market at all. Mm-hmm. So you have to ultimately ask this question, Mr. Buyer or a Miss Miss Buyer, can you tell me what you need? Can you tell me what's missing? Where is there the least amount of competition? And so that's what we did is we designed Barefoot in reverse. We went to the buyers first and we asked them what they needed. And they said, we need a 1.5, that's a, that's a magnum, twice yep. the size of a fifth, right? Right. You know, 1.5 liter bottle of varietal, a true varietal like Cabernet Sauvignon or Sauvignon Blanc.
3: And those are the two varietals we had. You know,
1: under one label. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, for us to get just that little piece of information was so (laughs) valuable. We could have been, you know, butting around head against the wall in the dark for years trying to get into the market. Well, ultimately, we wound up with lots of different varietals and different sizes. But to get into the market, that was the question. So where is the door? What do I have to look like so that you'll buy it at all. And so that determined how we were going to dress for success right there.
0: And in that moment, were you literally talking to end consumers or are you talking about distributors and those types of people? We're
1: talking about buyers at supermarkets. They're the Ah. ones who are the gatekeepers for the (laughs) largest volume of wine in our industry. Got Uh, it. you would be lucky to get to talk to the end user, you know, but first you have to get through the middleman or middlemen in this case.
3: What yeah. I found most interesting was when Michael went in, he made an appointment with the largest buyer for the largest chain store in California. Okay. Plan A, sell it all at the chains, right? And when Michael said, I've got this product, I can bottle it any way you want how do you want it? This was our first really big lesson. He said, no one has ever asked me that before. He's the biggest buyer. Nobody ever asked him what he wanted. And he said, but because you did, I'm going to tell you. And I think wow. that that's that got to be one of the best lessons for an entrepreneur. Go out there and ask people what they want. So we started asking everybody that touched the product, what they wanted.
0: I just have to dig in on this because I think that what you just described, the buyer for the biggest chain in in California, how did you get that meeting?
1: Well, that took a (laughs) long time. That was like getting an audience (laughs) with the Pope. When I finally got it, uh, it was a hoolahan, get in here, say what you got to say and get out because I'm busy and I don't have time (laughs) to talk to you it was snarky. And as a matter of fact, in our new audio book, which we'll talk yes. about later, there's a scene where this key event takes place. And it's a key event, I think, in every entrepreneur's life. And that is where you really get humbleized and you go, oh, my God, mm-hmm. you know, it's not what I'm selling. It's what they want, you know. Yep. And that's when you find out Uh, we warn our clients against what we call popularly held misconceptions. Mm -hmm. Popularly held. They're very popular. If you ask 100 people, 95 of them are going to answer this way. But that's the wrong answer. See, (laughs) 5% of the ones that have the right answer.
3: In our audio book, this snarky buyer is played by Ed Asner. He
1: voices. Oh my gosh.
0: That's so funny. I love it. The guy's like kicking
1: me out of his office, but on the way out, he's telling me, he's handing me the keys to the kingdom.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's saying, all right, here's what I want. Blah, blah, blah,
0: blah, blah, blah. Now get out of (laughs) here. So when you took that information out of his office, did you just simply go and implement that? We simply went and
1: implemented that and came back.
0: Well, it took about two months to pull all the
3: ideas together. There wasn't anything simple
1: about it, but yes, that was, we were single-minded. And, you know, (laughs) we we had direction now. We had real direction. And, you know, you have to remember, we thought that this was plan A. We thought we were going to bottle it all up, put it in the supermarket, get a big check, you know, pay off the grape guy and uh, go down the road with a little profit in our pocket. Uh, we had no idea that we were going to get involved in the business for 19 years. And we we also, we had no idea what the market would accept was not what we thought the market was going to buy, see. So, I mean, all we had was bulk wine, right? We can give it to you any way you want it. How do you want it? (laughs)
0: Wow. And so when you actually, after two months of implementing that advice, uh, then did he actually take the wine or was there, because you, you alluded to <laughs> a plan, plan A a couple scene. of times. There's another scene.
3: We'll, we'll give him a sample. He
1: can. Yeah, you can play it. You for, can play it for your audience. Yeah. Put it in your show notes. But there's another Absolutely. scene. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's a true scene. So we come back in there, you know, here it is, just what you asked for. You know, it's a 1.5 liter. The name is the same as the logo. Your customer can see it from four feet away and a bunch of other really practical pieces of advice uh, that we had executed. And he basically kicked us out again. Only this time he kicked us out because he said nobody would buy it. They never heard of anything called barefoot. It was a radical, you know, label at the time. You know, wine was stuffy at the time. You know, Barefoot was the reason why the wine industry discovered its sense of humor. And believe you me, the first 10 years, they condemned us for it. They said we were cheapening wine. And, the industry yep.
3: did, but the consumers loved it.
1: No, the consumers loved it. but It they, was hard getting it to
3: them, though.
1: Wine used to be like a predominantly male product. Yeah. At least they thought it was. It was all male buyers, and the, and the males were the ones that were buying it, and you know, it was Saturday night brag uh, time, right? But what we found out from this buyer and from others was that the vast majority of mine was being bought at the lower price points by 37 year old mobs with two kids.
3: You know, while she's doing her weekly shopping.
1: And, right. You know, it's just right. one of the staples she buys, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, bread, yep. butter, sugar, you know. Uh, and wine right so she had to buy a product that was consistent it had to taste the same from year to year just the opposite of the vintage wine business so it was formula wine
3: she had to remember it and be able to spot it very easily so the name easy to pronounce no french the buyer said he didn't want anything in french and then the logos the same as the name reinforces the memory. And the logo was large enough to be seen, so it kind of jumped right off the shelf. All requirements that the buyer gave us, various buyers.
0: I love the fact that you've, whether it was just necessity or it's your style, you, you had the wherewithal to go out and ask these questions. And I think like you sort of alluded to a few minutes ago the the lack of asking is where people often get into trouble. We put together you know a marketing campaign or a product or whatever, and we never took the time to ask, like would anyone actually open their wallet and buy this thing and does it actually solve a problem, or is it yes. like a nice to have and I think that you 've you 've alluded to just reverse engineering a couple of times, and that 's something that is definitely the harder path when you really think about it because it'd be nice, especially for an entrepreneur, just to go, go, go and charge into the marketplace with something. But if you really want that success, like thinking about it and just taking some time to to reverse engineer and to be strategic is so critical. And I love that your story just is oozing with that example. Um, (laughs) Yes, it is. So when you you hit that roadblock and he's like, no one's ever heard of Barefoot. Yeah, that's right because it's a brand new endeavor for you and for everybody so how did you get it out
1: well you know when he said he wouldn't take it unless we put a million into advertising we said we don't have a million and he said well he says I guess you're going to have to sell it to every mama papa and every independent grocery store because the big chain stores and the box stores won't touch it because Mm. it's not a household word if you make it a household word I will put it in Okay. I said, "Well, that's going to take years." He said, "Yeah, you better get started, right?" And <laughs> get kick out of my office. K- kick me out again. And <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, this guy's kind of like the imperfect Buddha. You know, he's he's right, but he's telling you about it in a way that is extremely hard to take.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the imperfect Buddha. I love. I love that. That's so funny. So. No money for advertising. You've got this product that you've tried to reverse engineer. And then this guy who told you this is what he wanted doesn't now want it because there's another problem, which he didn't tell you about, uh, which <laughs> is the brand awareness. Yes. So then do you go to all the independents one by one and put it in? Or, or how did you proceed there? Ha,
3: ha Yeah, that's about what Michael did. So,
0: you
1: know, obviously, you know, I couldn't do the whole United States to start with. We started with just one city that was close to us, San Francisco. And uh, we got it into like 10 or 15 different shops. And the the shop owners said, well, I'll put it in. But, you know, are you going to do any advertising? Nobody knows this brand. It's too radical. Same story. And then they said, and if it doesn't sell within 90 days, I'm going to discontinue it. You'll never be in here again. So that would have been the end of Barefoot. And mm-hmm. so we were sweating bullets because the reports were coming back and they were showing that there was no sales. Mm. And so here we had the product out there in these stores and it just was not selling. But then we get a call from a neighborhood group and it's a guy, he wants to raise money for a kids' after school park. He wants to buy some swings and slides and sandboxes for the kids. And mm-hmm. so He's, you know, we asked him if he's got the right number because we he's don't have- He's looking for money. He's looking for like $50,000 donation. <laughs> and we thought, well, this is funny. You know, he's asking the poor people for money. So we said, no, uh, but we do have wine and you could use it at your fundraiser. Maybe to loosen some people up. They'll write a bigger check or maybe you could auction it off and you can, you know, raise some money for some swings and slides. And so he took it, you know, he wasn't real happy about that. But about a month later, we got reports from his neighborhood, and the stores that we had put barefoot in in his neighborhood had reordered, and some Mm -hmm. of them had reordered twice. And we thought, wow, I wonder if we discovered something. I wonder if this would work in another neighborhood. So we just, this time we were positive, we went to this other neighborhood, and they were trying to raise money to clean up a creek. And so we said, okay, we'll provide the wine for your fundraiser, but we want to be able to tell everybody where they can buy it in the neighborhood, and we want to be able to talk and say why we support the Clean Creek, and we want to be thanked from the podium, and we like to write on your website and and a few other things that they could do that didn't cost them anything but helped us. Right. So, and we did that, and there it happened again. And so we went from neighborhood to neighborhood, town after town, city after city, state after state across the United States doing that.
0: That's truly sort of the old school entrepreneurial spirit. Now it's like trying to buy a Facebook campaign or something. Yes, yeah, shotgun but- blast now. But it's, it's relationship based and it's, yeah. and it's value adding first, which I think we all talk about in this, at least a lot of us in the podcasting space. Like we, we do this for free. Like I don't run ads on the show we try and lead with value and that's obviously what we're doing with this interview but your story is is talking about that and i just love the like the contribution and the giving like obviously there's sort of a quid pro quo here but that's ultimately whether you chose to or you were sort of forced into it or some combination of the two but that's what you did is you led with value well we discovered
1: that it worked and you know then as we started to expand, you know, we would have a representative in another state, you know, like Nevada. And one of the representatives' jobs was to discover the nonprofits in Nevada that were doing things that aligned with Barefoot or with the things that we believed in, which was conservation or what have you. And they did. And we gave them the power to decide on who those nonprofits should be. So we wound up you know after after like 5 or 6 years of doing it this way and growing the way we were we said well we're not going to do commercial advertising Yeah, no, we
3: never did we even never though had we could paid afford advertising it.
1: yeah yeah wow. we could afford we, it we
3: we grew to one of the largest brands in The United States, and we did it without paid advertising by supporting the communities around the markets that had our product. And we would take a a little neck tag and put it over the neck of the bottle and it would talk about that event. It'd give you the time and place and what their mission was. And we were able to get the nonprofit's message into the marketplace in the community where it was taking place. And that was a venue that they didn't have access to. So that really benefited them a lot.
0: That goes right back to the adding value thing we were just talking about. I love it. So five to six years of sort of this grassroots uh, shaking hands and kissing babies style <laughs> of of marketing, so to speak, and then you get to a point where you where you just sort of commented on, but I want to dig in on a little bit further that you could afford corporate advertising or, or larger campaigns, but then you chose not to. What did you continue that that strategy going forward, or how how did you go once you got scaled up a little bit?
1: We continued the strategy going forward, only now because. We were able to scale it. We put a representative in every major market in the United States and gave them the power to choose the nonprofit organizations. We call them worthy causes. We call it worthy cause marketing. It's different Mm -hmm. than cause marketing. In cause marketing, you're saying to the general public, look, I'm a good guy. I'm putting shoes on kids in Africa when you buy my shoes. That's right. cause marketing. Worthy cause marketing is different. Worthy cause marketing, what you're doing is you're looking for a worthy cause that is in the neighborhood of where your product is sold. And you're supporting that group with goods and services. And you're doing it because you want the members, not the general public, you want the members of that nonprofit organization. They're already networked. They're
3: already all, networked. Already in networked. Place.
1: So they're already talking to each other. You want them to say, hey, Barefoot is on our side. We got to buy wine. We can buy any brand. Let's support the people who are supporting us. So that gives you
0: a little bit of an idea about our marketing strategy. I love it. That's really, really well orchestrate it. As you're talking, I'm just have all these gears turning in my head about my own marketing efforts for the show and for my real estate practice and all of these different ways in which you can do it without spending tons and tons of money. So thank you for for digging in on this. Yeah. Um, So now the brand is scaled. You've gotten it in the hands of a ton of people um, through the worthy cause marketing strategy you just described. Where do you go from there? Well, our first intention when we started the
4: business was to sell it and move on. So Mm -hmm. eventually we did. And our staff said, you've created a company culture that is so great that you haven't had any turnover in, in five or seven years. And we all love working here. So we want you to preserve the founder's legacy. So you've got to write a book so we wrote a book the barefoot spirit how hardship
5: hustle and heart became america's number 1 wine brand right
2: and that
4: became a new york times bestseller and then just in the fall of 2019 we released an audiobook with the same name so we took the the written book the paperback and turned it into an audiobook that's fully casted so That's how Ed Asner played the snarky buyer. He voiced the buyer.
0: Yes. So let's dig in on that Mm -hmm. a little bit because you've alluded to it earlier in the interview. Obviously the book did quite well in print and now you're taking it and and turning it into an audiobook experience that is more like a a radio show from the 1940s as opposed to just a voice actor reading it almost as quickly as possible into a microphone. So can you describe that? Like, if someone were to go down into the show notes and and click on the chapters and then buy the audiobook, what they would experience and, and why you chose to do it that way?
5: Well, we wanted to entertain people with real stories. We believe the best way to convey business principles is through story. People say, Well, give me an example. Or they say, You know, don't tell me, show me. Right. And what they're really saying is, Give me some context. You know, don't tell me about an abstract business principle and expect me to remember it. So we created these, these stories are real stories, but we chose these stories out of our history because they demonstrate a specific business principle one that we learned the hard way, or one that most people have misconceptions about, and they get to see it played out by four or five actors. Uh, Maybe they're having an argument. Maybe it's a buyer and a seller. Maybe it's just a truck driver having a conversation with somebody. Maybe it's a forklift operator. All these things happen in business. This is part Mm -hmm. of the real meat of business. And when you start to, like, listen in on these situations, you pick up on the reality and you go, oh, my gosh, this is the way it goes, Dad. And so we did it because for the last 10 years, we've been sort of like teachers of entrepreneurship. We've spoken at 60 schools that teach entrepreneurship around the world and uh, probably as many uh, conferences where we're keynote speakers. Mm -hmm. And we noticed in the last three or four years that – the audiences were showing up wearing earbuds when they came through the door. And we said, well, what are you listening to? Is it hip hop? Is it rock and roll? And they said, no, I'm listening to a podcast on how to improve my life. Or I'm listening to War and Peace. I always wanted to read it, but it was so thick I never had the chance. And so we got this idea of untethered entertainment. You know, if you're reading a book, you're tethered to the book. If you're watching a video, you're tethered to the video. But when you're listening, it's the movie of the mind. And so now you can jog, now you can change your baby's diapers, now you can be driving, things can happen in your life, you're multitasking now. It's much more convenient because you can pick it up when you want. So it is a story, but it's broken down into little short stories that are all like maybe maybe one minute or two and a half minutes but when they string together, there's this thread of truth that weaves its way through the whole story that when you're left at the end of the book, you go, wow, I get it. I see what these people learned.
4: Yeah. And that thread of truth is what we call the barefoot spirit. Yeah.
0: I love it. Thank you for outlining that because I wholeheartedly agree. I think that the medium of, of podcasting and audiobooks is just such a fantastic way to build a relationship with somebody digest and consume content and different information because of the the movie of the mind and the the passivity of it as opposed to reading or watching youtube or something to that extent and i love that you've taken it even a step further and tried to bring in emotion and you know the actual interactions and the voices and all of that stuff. I think it's just such a great way to tell a story of, of something that is truly uh, uh, life-changing for, for someone, obviously in your situation, and your story, but could be very life-changing for somebody else.
4: Yes, and we are delighted that we were chosen as finalists for the Audio Awards. That's the Audiobook Awards, and it's like
0: the Oscars for the films. Well, congratulations. So, and, yeah. uh, I hope, hope you guys come out on top. Uh, if there's a way yeah. that we can support you in that, absolutely. We'll throw that down yeah. in the show notes as well. But by the, you may actually find out by the time this is released. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have a, yeah. a, a medal or a trophy for you to, to advertise by the time this comes out. But I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm struck by the story here. Um, and, and we are getting to the end of the time. And I want to respect the rest of your day. And before we get to the last section of the show, I just wanted to ask, because I'm struck by this, you had a, a business consulting career that transitioned to a 19-year wine producing career, then you're coaching other entrepreneurs, you're speaking, you're writing the book, and now the audiobook. book. Like what has kept you guys so engaged to go out into the marketplace and continue to innovate and create and try, frankly? Like what has got you excited to keep going at this point?
3: Well, we love being educators, and it took so much money and time and stress learning about the wine industry, and most of those lessons pertain to any business. We wanted to share those lessons with others so they can succeed faster. And I guess, really, that's our passion today, wouldn't you say, Michael?
1: I would, and the other thing, too, you have to remember is That in 1974, there was only three or four schools in the United States that were teaching entrepreneurship. And as of last year, there's way over a hundred. And so you're seeing an explosion in entrepreneurship with this generation, the millennials. And you know, God bless them for it. If we can give them some shortcuts, if we can give them some insight. That will help them, so that it doesn't take them 19 years. You know, maybe we can cut that time in half. Uh, but you know, we're very excited about the prospect of communicating with the generation that is coming into uh, the whole world of entrepreneurship now, because they have all this technology at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. But. They don't necessarily have the soft skill knowledge that is what really held us back and took us a long time. You know, you mentioned earlier about relationships. That's the key. That's the key to the whole book. The spirit is, you know, how you treat other people. If you treat your vendors mm-hmm. right, they're going to give you more credit. So you are not have to borrow so much cash or give away so much equity. Uh, if, you treat your, if you treat your customers right, they're going to become loyal to you. Uh, if you mm-hmm. treat your employees right, they're not going to leave and take your technology. So these are the kinds of things that can happen to a business, and we would like to help
0: people avoid them.
3: Avoid the problems and reap the rewards.
0: <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for, for what you're doing and for all the content and all the wonderful things you're putting out into the world. Your story is very compelling and you have a lot to share. So thank you for taking the effort to do it. Um, Our pleasure. Before we wrap up here, um, I want to get to the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. And I'm very excited to hear your guys' answers. Are you ready? We're ready. First question, and this is probably a layup for you. What book have you gifted most often? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Well, that would have to be The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand.
0: Is there any <laughs> other book other than your own, um, maybe in second place, that you also like to tell people about?
1: Well, there's a couple of great books out there that we like. One is called, uh, you know, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was written, you know, over half a century ago, classics. Uh, classic. Another one is um, Think and Grow Rich, which is the whole idea of positive thinking, uh, mm-hmm. and the other one is uh, is uh, As a Man Thinketh. So, mm-hmm. As a Man Thinketh, Think and Grow Rich, and How to Win Friends and Influence People. If you have those three books in your library, or you know, just download them and listen to them, I guarantee you're going to have a leg up on everybody else.
0: Well said. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be, and why?
3: Jesus. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I've got a lot of questions for Jesus, yeah. and I I don't think that his answers would be exactly what's read in the written books that have uh, his stories. I think maybe. You know, people have, have added their own words here and there. But I'd like to hear it, as they say, I can't say from the horse's mouth, can I? No. 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 <laughs> I,
0: would,
3: <laughs> I would like to hear it from Jesus himself.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Well said. <laughs> what is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on?
1: I think most people uh, think that their idea is good enough by itself that people will knock down windows and kick down doors to get to them to make that purchase. Mm. They don't really believe that it's all about distribution and distribution management. Mm. They don't want to believe that it has to do with trucks and warehouses and warehouses and you know more warehouses and you know how you get stuff out there how you produce it you know the nitty-gritty of business it's not glorious. And most people would disagree with us on that point. But, you know, this At the is, beginning. Yeah.
3: The beginners of their business, once they've been around for a while, yeah. sooner or later, they're going to realize that's yeah. true.
1: In other words, if, if I said, you're going to be doing something entirely different than what you think you're going to do when you take on that business, they would disagree with you. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, I never thought I would be walking around with a pricing gun in a suit and tie on my knees on linoleum in Tallahassee, Florida, putting prices on my bottles because if I didn't, the clerk wouldn't. And if the clerk didn't, it wouldn't sell. And if it wouldn't sell, the buyer wouldn't reorder it. And I was president and CEO and I'm pricing items, you know. <laughs> That's
0: great. Thank you for that short story there. Um <laughs> <laughs> Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you guys start your day? Whoa. Oh. Well, we have an alarm cat. So Two the, of them, actually. If the, alarm cla- if
1: the first cat doesn't get us up, the second one will. And then uh, I guess the first thing we do is uh, we take showers. I, I go uh, out and, uh, you know, make the place warm and uh, make some coffee for Bonnie. And if there's any dishes, I wash the dishes and stuff. He's good at that. She takes a shower. And then, uh, you know, I, I take a look at my calendar for the day. I go outside, take a couple of deep breaths, you know. That's how we start our day. Yep.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being on the show. What is the best place online that we can connect with you the most?
3: www.thebarefootspirit.com
0: Thebarefootspirit.dot.com, and some chapters are available to to preview down in the show notes. If you uh, want to get a flavor for what they have going on in that audio book, they're available there. And obviously, the uh, the full thing is available. I'm assuming wherever audio books are available.
3: Yes, they are. Yeah, they are.
0: Mm-hmm. Well. Thank you both so much for being on the show today before we sign it off. Do you have any final thoughts or, or anything to leave behind with the audience?
3: Well, we've made this service business audio theater available to founders so they can keep their own legacies alive. Because so we know how it's done. Now we can form the stories and put it in audio form and, uh, Use it as an onboarding tool, use it as a team building tool for people who have been with the company for a while. The worst thing is, is when a founder grows his business so large that no one knows what the founder's principles are or how the founder mm-hmm. got started. And there's uh, a lot to be said for story. So we can keep that story in the minds of the employees
0: that's awesome. Thank you for that. So if you're a founder and you want to learn how they did it uh, for their story and how they built that audiobook uh, into more than just a book, that service is available. Is that also on your website? Yes, it is. It's Excellent. called business.
1: It's business audio
0: theater.com. That's what we call it. Business this, audio theater, business audio available on the website. Thank you both so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. And uh, have a good rest of your day.
1: Thanks Thank Hans. You. It was a blast.
0: That does it for today. If you want to head down into the show notes, and connect with Bonnie and Michael, the dot is the best place to do that. You heard it from them. they have got some really cool stuff going on over there and obviously they're available on social media as well. So I've got all that down in the show notes And if you want to connect with me directly, my Calendly link is always down there so you can grab a 15-minute time to chat. We can get to know each other a little better as well and just uh, see if we can keep making this podcast better. And I, I would just greatly appreciate your feedback. Speaking of feedback, if you're getting value out of this or any other episode, head over to iTunes, leave a written rating and review. And hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the content that I'm putting out uh, would really mean a lot to me because it helps me with the algorithm and growing and keep getting better as well as just gives me great feedback because I do read all of those reviews. So, guys, without any further ado, we're going to sign it off for today. This is Hans Strazina host of Another Way to Play, and remember to make every chapter better than the last.
2: Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.